Welcome to One Church, guys. Happy Easter. Man, I'm telling you what, y'all are a whole lot more awake than a nine o'clock crowd. So I think they were all hopped up on Easter candy. A lot of y'all, this has nothing to do with Jesus. How many of y'all have ever taken those, um, what's those marshmallow cream puff things? Peeps and blown them up in the microwave. That's a very spiritual thing. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there, all right? Um, Today, we are starting a new series entitled Confessions of a Pastor. And for the next four weeks, I'm going to be talking about some things that most pastors probably wouldn't talk about. In fact, uh, some of the stuff that I'm going to be talking about, not so much today, but next week and the week after next, if pastors talked about it and they actually admitted it, they would probably get fired. So um, I want to let you know the reason why most pastors really don't talk about it is they try to keep everybody at arm's length and then try to maintain image. They try to maintain the image of being Mr. Know-it-all and Reverend having it all together. And you need to know this, that this is a pastor who doesn't know it all and it doesn't have it all together. In fact, one person writes it like this. Most people think that they want a pastor to be normal, to be everyday people, but they really don't. Um, They want to see you as superhuman, better than the average person. Church members want to believe your marriage is always strong, that your faith never falters, and that you are virtually without sin. So as a pastor, you have to keep your guard up. Don't let people see the real you. Never let them into your life and never, ever let them see you sweat. You know, I think there's a Greek word for that. It's called bunk. Um, because you need to know as a pastor, I am just like you. And as you and as I, we start discovering my jacked upness, that you're going to realize that you and I are pretty much the same because you and I probably struggle with the very same things. The first thing I want to talk about today in my first confession is this, that sometimes as a pastor, I get scared to death that I am afraid. Now, I know as a pastor, I shouldn't be afraid. I know that, you know, as a pastor that, you know what, you know, that fear is the opposite of faith. But there's sometimes I struggle with my faith. There's sometimes I struggle with being afraid. Um, Maybe you do too. You know, um, a lot of people call fear by a lot of different names. Anxiety, worry, stress. In fact, there was one study, they did a study on 500 different people. And out of 500 different people, they discovered 7,000 different fears. That each person has about 14 different major fears. Fear is contagious. Fear is limiting. Fear is debilitating. And it's in fear that becomes the dark room for negativity. Fear. Are you afraid? You know, we live in really scary times. This first four months of this year has been scary. Um, The housing market is down. The stock market is down. Unemployment is up. Some of you have lost your jobs and you are afraid and you're scared to death because you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. Some of you have lost health insurance. Some of you have been the the casualty of downsizing. And it's just scary. 
And you start scratching your head and you're wondering, where in the world, how are we going to be able to pay the bills? I can't find another job. Maybe the economy isn't what's scary for you. Maybe it's the next deployment. Afghanistan ramping up. And your idea of deployment is like playing Russian roulette. How many times can I deploy until my number is up? Some of you have been through your first, second, third, some even fourth deployments, and you're wondering, why? When is it going to be over? And as a soldier, you can't really talk about that because you're perceived as weak. So you get in your car and you drive early in the morning, and you sit in your car before PT and you just cry because you have nobody to really talk to. And if you're a man, you really don't have anybody to talk to because we don't talk about our fears. Because people will see us as a girly man. Right? Guys? And the thing about it is, we are afraid. And we do get scared. I want to talk to you about two times that I was really scared in my life. A year and a half ago, two years ago, when we, one church is a fairly new church. We started about a year and a half ago, and we started, my wife and I moved back to Tennessee to our hometown to start a church for people who don't like church, which is a little different, you know? Um, most people who don't like church, they don't go to church. Well, a lot of times I grew up and, you know, and I know many of you, you've been burned by the church. And for many of you, this is your first time back in church in a long time. And I want to let you know you're in a safe place. That's the reason why we're starting this series, because you may have some doubts. You may have some questions, and I want to let you know I'm the same way. I have doubts and I have questions as well. So this is just a safe place from the get-go. But we started one church, and we knew this statistic going into it, that this, every church start, 80% of them tends to fail. That's not a good statistic. 80%. So we were in here scratching our heads going, okay, what if this doesn't work? What if we show up and nobody else shows up? What if we can't find a place to meet out here at Exit 1? What if before I get up to preach, I get nervous and throw up, right? I mean, these are all questions that's going through my mind, right? I mean, what if it's a failure? What if I'm a failure? And some of you, there are a lot of our staff in here can tell you, buddy, I was a clock tower sniper six months before one church started. I was waking up in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning when the cold sweats, because I couldn't do anything. And I was just praying a lot. But I was scared. I was scared. I was scared to death. But my greatest fear wasn't really that, being scared to death. My greatest fear was being scared of death. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're afraid because you've seen what happens when your buddies and your friends come home in a box like this. I got to tell you, I grew up going to a church that talked a lot about death, a lot about hell. And this was my fear right here. Because I didn't want to, I didn't want to go to hell. I definitely didn't want to die. And I, I remember going down front and taking a pastor by the hand when I was eight years old with tears in my eyes. And this is what I said. I don't want to die and I don't want to go to hell. And that pastor 
took me by the hand and prayed with me and I repeated his prayer. And they said, you did it. You're saved. You're not going to hell anymore. You got nothing to be afraid of. And I got to be honest with you. Nothing changed in my life. Nothing changed. And for the next two years, I, every night, every night, I had nightmares. I had nightmares about that I was dying or I, I was dead and going to hell. And I, there wasn't any peace. And so much so that my mom and dad said, maybe you need to go talk to the preacher again. And I got baptized, I went to church, I put money in the offer plate. Maybe you've done some of those things, right? And it just, nothing changed in my life. So, and, and then I became, you know, a pastor, and I don't really like death now. I mean, this is kind of jacked up if you think about it. My, my job revolves around this box. You know, doctors don't do funerals. Pastors do, Right? And I'm a pastor that hates going to funerals. I'm even a pastor that doesn't even like going to the hospital. In fact, if I show up and you're in the hospital, you better believe it's really bad. Right? The doctor doesn't lie to you. It's really bad. Because for me to come to a hospital, it's, it's you really tough. Right? Um... Because I don't like hospitals and I don't like funeral homes because I don't like being reminded that I'm going to be put in one of these. I don't like that. I was afraid. I was paralyzed by fear and dying. And you know, the, thing, the reason why nothing changed in me is because I was running from something and I wasn't running to something. That may be some of your stories as well. See, I came and I went down front to the invitation and I shook the dude's hand and I prayed and I was running from death and I was running from hell, but I wasn't running to Jesus and I wasn't running to life. And anytime you run from something and not to something, it's not a relationship. And that is what does it. That's what God wants in our life. And it was when I really began a relationship with God that this fear went away, this paralyzing fear. Let me tell you what the, the most repeated command in the Bible is. Let me tell you. Now, some of you are thinking it's this. Don't cuss, right? Don't drink. Stop doing that. Stop looking at that. Let me tell you what the most repeated command in the Bible is. Are you ready? Do not fear. Don't fear. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12 says it this way says this, in Christ we can come before God with freedom and with what? Without fear. Now, how do we, how can we be without fear? Look at the verse. We can do this through what? Faith in Christ. We're going to come back to that word faith. But you know, God came into this world so that we don't have to be afraid anymore. So that we don't have to be scared. And that happens through faith in Christ. So today I'm going to share with you my greatest fear. The fear of this thing right here. And how I overcome it. And what I'm getting ready to read to you today is the most powerful thing in this book. It's the most powerful thing that has ever happened. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. If you didn't bring your Bibles, it's going to be up on the screen. And if you have the One Church Bible, you can welcome to turn to page 760. And this is where we're going to be at. 
Now, let me uh, kind of set the stage for Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, the last chapter in the book of Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the New Testament. All about Jesus, by the way. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Let me set the stage. God is dead. Jesus, who claimed to be God, who claimed to be the Son of God, after a ministry of three and a half years and 12 people who were his best friends around him. These 12 loved hanging out together. They ate together. They, they hung out around the fire together. They slept together. They, they rode on boats together. They walked on water together. They, they, they cleansed lepers together. They, they healed people. They drove out demons. They did all of this stuff together. God, Jesus Christ, is dead. About 1 o'clock, one early Friday morning, while Jesus and his disciples were, were in the garden, in a garden on a hill of Jerusalem, a big mob came and took Jesus away and arrested him. And they beat him. And they, they brought him in front of a bunch of trials. These Romans and the Jews got together. By the way, the Romans and the Jews hated each other. The Jews wanted Jesus dead because he claimed to be God, and that was against their religion. And the Romans wanted Jesus dead because he claimed to be king. By the way, the Greek word for king is Christ, the Messiah, and they wanted him dead as well. So these two groups who hated each other came together and said, you know what, we're going to kill him. And Friday morning, just eight hours after he was arrested, he's hanging on a cross being killed, being executed. And for six hours, he hung on that cross. And he said some things, and people did terrible things to him. Until at three o'clock, he uttered his last words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And it is finished. And he hung his head, and God died. And all of his followers, his best friends, his disciples started running for their life because they remembered what Jesus said. I am the teacher, you're the student. What they do to me, they're going to do to you and even worse. So they're trying to save their own skins. So they're running, they're getting as far away from Jesus, far away from that religion, far away from all of this stuff as possible. And they go up and they find this one little room to huddle up in and they don't leave. And Friday night, they're literally, they're afraid, they're scared. Their best friend has just been murdered. This is the person they put their faith in, their hope in. Their dreams were all wrapped up around Jesus because they thought, you know what, he's going to save us from these military, from the Romans, from all of this. He's going to lead an insurrection. He's going to come and he's going to be this king and dead. So Saturday night, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, they're all huddled up in this room and they're scared. They wake up Saturday morning and they hear footsteps approaching. Is it Roman soldiers? They come up the stairs and they hear a, they hear a knock and they, their hearts jump into their throats. Is it soldiers? And it's just some of the ladies who... Follow Jesus. And that entire day Saturday, they lived in fear, fear of death, because they knew they possibly could be next. And then Sunday morning takes place. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, this is what it says. 
early on Sunday morning as a new day was dawning. I like that. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to the tomb. And let me tell you what happened. Jesus died Friday 3 o'clock. They hastily took him down from the cross. They wrapped his body up. And they put him in a tomb. And because it was Passover, because it was Sabbath, which were these religious Jewish days, they had to bury him quickly. And they couldn't put the spices and all that stuff on him. So they were going back Sunday morning to finish the job. It would almost be like um, somebody going to a, a, a gravesite on a tombstone and putting flowers on it, like they would do today. Notice it's not the 12 disciples who go and finish the job with Jesus because they're all in the upper room scared out of their wits. It's these ladies saying, you know what, I don't care if people know that I loved him and that I loved my Savior and that he's my Lord. And you know what, if they kill me, so be it. It was the ladies who showed up at the tomb. And let me tell you what happens. Verse 2 of Matthew 28, Suddenly there was a great earthquake. Because an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and sat upon it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. Then the angel spoke to the woman and said these words. What did he say? Don't. How many of y'all have ever been in an earthquake? How would you describe that? Chaotic? Anyone else? Terrifying? All right, it's scary because the one thing you can count on, the earth being underneath you, being solid, it's all moving around, right? And these ladies are afraid and the angel shows up and says, don't be afraid. The very first words uttered by an angel immediately after Jesus rose from the dead was what? Don't be afraid. In fact, the very first words Jesus says after he ra- he's raised to, to life when he's resurrected and he comes up, is this, don't be afraid. In fact, the very first words he tells to his disciples who's huddled in fear up in that upper room is don't be afraid. This is the most repeated command. And the reason why is God wants to let us know we have no reason to be afraid anymore because Jesus beat death. In fact, Jesus says this in one of his earlier sermons in in John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. That's what it says. Resurrection, that's a churchy word that means if you're dead, you come back to life again. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die. Look at that. Even Those who believe in me, even though they die, like everyone else will live again. You see, what happened is this. Jesus says, I beat it. They tried killing me, but you know what? I'm alive. So you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be scared. And that's what did it for me. It's when I realized that... This verse right here, in fact, I'm going to keep on reading John chapter 11, verse 25. Those who believe in me, even though they die like everyone else, will live again. Now look at this next part. This next part is going to make you go like this. Wow. All right? They are given... What's that next next two words? They are given what? Let's say that one more time. They are given eternal life for believing. Everybody say the word Believing. And we're going to talk about how you get eternal life. You just said it. 
They are given eternal life by believing in me. And look at this next part. And will, what's that next word? Will sometimes perish. Is that what it says? It says, will never perish. Let me give you some really good news this morning. The thing that you're most afraid of, which everybody's afraid of dying. The thing that you're most afraid of will never happen. Never. Now, some of you are thinking, well, how can that be? I've been to funeral homes. I have seen my mother or my father in one of these. How can you say you will never die? I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. The thing that you worry about most is the thing that you have to really worry about least because what this verse says is that you will never perish. You will never die. When the doctor says, I'm sorry, sir, it's terminal. He's mistaken. He's mistaken. Now, how can I say that? All right? Let me tell you, there will never be a time that you will know life if you have a relationship with God. Never. There will never be... You won't know the color of your casket. All right? You're never going to be placed in one of these. You're never ever going to hear the dirt falling on this. You will never die. Now you're thinking, show me. I'm from the state of Missouri. Show me. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's just a way of saying, if you're not in your body, you're with God. It's that simple. All right? If you're not here, then you're there. At the same, that's what's so cool. That is what's so spanking fine about this. I love this. You're never going to die. Look at John chapter 10, verse 28. I'm going to throw a lot of different scriptures at you, but I want to prove to you what Jesus said. Jesus says, I give them what? I give them eternal life and they shall, what is those next two words? Never die. For nobody's going to snatch them from my hand. They will never die. I will give them eternal life and they will never die. The thing that you fear most, which is death, is the thing that will not happen to you. Because when you close your eyes for the last time and you take your last breath and the doctor calls, I'm calling it, y'all seen ER, right? All right, I'm calling it 1028. That, you know what? Right when that last breath takes place, you're more alive then than you ever have been. You're more, but I mean, as soon as your eyes close, I mean, it's, I mean, it's like blinking. Y'all blink right now. How fast was that? That's pretty darn fast, don't you think? All right, quicker than that. Quicker than a twinkle in your eye, which is faster than a blink. All right? I mean, quick, as quick as you can put, go from your eyes from here to there. There you go. Quicker than that. As soon as you stop breathing, you are alive. You will never die, for you have eternal life. Now, let me just say, everybody's going to live forever. Some of you, y'all may be coming here and say, you know what, I, just, I think when you die, that's it. You just push up daisies. Well, no. Everybody lives forever. The question is, is where you're going to spend your eternity. It's not whether, okay, I ask Jesus in my heart, you get eternal life, and then, you know, you're waiting for your eternal life. No, 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 no. 
Everybody has, you're going to spend eternity somewhere. The question is, you're just waiting to relocate. How many of y'all are PCS and you know the summer? All right. You know what's happening? You're waiting to relocate, right? All right. Somebody, anybody know where they're going yet? All right. Where are you going? San Antonio. The river walk is the bomb there. I need to let you know. Really good. All right. But see, what you're doing is you're waiting to relocate. Let me tell you, if you are in here, you will live forever. You're just waiting to relocate. The question is, where are you going? And you're saying, well, I don't know where I'm going. Well, we're going to talk about that. All right. You know where you're going. You got orders. And you see, some of you, you're like, well, I don't know quite where I'm going. I don't have those orders. Well, we're going to talk about those orders this morning. And it's very, very easy. In fact, the verse, the last verse we're going to look at today is the most popular verse in the entire Bible. Because you see it at football games, right? It's always in the end zone and they hold up what? John 3.16. Very good. All right. John 3.16. Now, let me tell you, before we hit John 3.16, I'm going to let you know a lot of churches complicate this. And I have complicated this, all right? We got to keep this simple because Jesus made it Simple. Let me tell you, you don't become a Christian by going to church. See, some of you, the reason why you're here today and you haven't been in like six months, and you are so welcome. We want to let you know that. We are so glad that you're here. But some of you have to think, well, if I just show up, you know, I'll be good. Let me tell you, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Sleeping in your garage doesn't make you a car, does it? Right? I mean, let's just, let's just go through the logic on this one. And if, if that doesn't work with you being a car, it doesn't work with you having a relationship with God just by showing up to church. And some of you think, if I put some money in the offering plate, huh, it don't work like that either. Because you can't buy it. And you know what? It's, it's, it's like, how many of you ever go to McDonald's and you order a Big Mac and just because you give them money doesn't make you a Big Mac, Right? You see, it's more than just giving money. It's more than just showing up at something. It's something bigger. But see, the church, we've tried. So you pray a prayer. Man, I've said that. If you pray this prayer, then you get saved. And you know what? That's what kind of screwed me up early on when I was a kid. I prayed a prayer. I said some words. So I'm okay. I wasn't. Because... That can happen by praying a prayer, but it doesn't automatically happen. There are all no magic words to say. Let me show you what Jesus said. By the way, nowhere in the Bible does it ever say, if you pray this prayer, you're going to go to heaven. In fact, nowhere in the Bible does it, you ever see somebody pray a prayer and get saved. It's amazing. John three sixteen. This is what it says. Some of you know this, all right? This is what it says. God loved... Let's stop right there. God. He is the subject. He is the one God loved. God loved the people of this world. How many of y'all are people of this world? The rest of those who are not raising your hands, you're ETs. All right, it's time for you to go home. All right? All of us are people of this world. God loved the people of this world. That is everyone. That means it doesn't matter what skin color you are, how much money you make. It doesn't matter if you're an officer or you're enlisted. That, that stuff may matter where you go to work. It doesn't matter in here. God loves everyone. 
God loved the people of this world so much that he gave. Everybody say the word gave. Now, let, if, if, if you got your Bibles open, that's a good word to circle. Love, circle love, circle gave, and then hook them up together because God loves so much that he gave. You see, some of you, you go out on Friday nights and you're single and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, baby. You know, all right? And hey, I love you. All right? And they, they don't, they're just wanting to get something from you, right? You see, real love means you give. God loved so much that he gave. What did he give? He gave something really precious. He gave, look at this, his one and only son. Who is that? Jesus Christ. So that, now here's this word again. What's that next word? Let me tell you what that says in the original Greek. Everyone means everyone. All right? That's what it means. So, for God loved the people of this world so much that he gave his one and only son so that... Now, here's the purpose. Okay? You can, you, some of you know this. God loved that he gave his son. Some of you know that. You grew up in church knowing that. But just knowing that is not enough. You see, just having that facts up there is not enough. Here's the purpose. You can know all of that stuff, but it says so that everyone who has... What's that next word? Faith. Now... I believe that this chair can hold me. Just kind of like some of you are thinking, I believe Jesus is God. I believe Jesus is God. So I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe that, you know, when I write my checks, 2009, that the reason why it's 2009 and not something else is because 2009 years ago, Jesus came. You know those facts. But facts alone doesn't rescue you. You don't have a relationship. See, I, some of you, you can say, hey, tell me about your wife and you can give me a bunch of facts. Well, you know, she's five foot six. You know, she has blonde hair. You know, there's other sizes that I'm thinking of. But wasn't in my notes, all right? But there are these things, all right? There's things you, you know facts about your wife, right? But just because I know facts about your wife doesn't mean I have a relationship with your wife. And it doesn't even mean you have a relationship because there's more to it. A relationship is time. It's hanging out. And that's what this word faith means. It's not about knowing that this chair will hold me. It's about relying on this chair. And for me to put my faith and trust in this chair, believing that this chair will do it. And some of you, that's what you need to do this morning. You got the facts and you still have maybe some questions. But you got these facts. You need to say, I'm going to trust. I'm going to rely on God so much that I'm going to put, I'm going to rest on him. I'm going to keep on going. So that everyone who has faith in him will have, not hope to get, will have it. If you believe, if you have faith in him, you do have eternal life now. Now. Not hope to get. You got it now. And we'll, what's that? Look, look at these last three words. This, this is our sermon. Never really die. Some of you right now, you're afraid and you're fearful. And some of you are afraid of this box right here, this pine box. And you're scared and you you don't know when it's going to happen. Maybe you're afraid because of your spouse or your mom or your dad or your brother. And what Jesus is saying today is that I am life. I give eternal life. But you have to put your faith in me. 
You have to do that. So as we close today, I'm just going to be, I'm going to say this is what you need to do. You need to put your faith in Jesus. I'm not saying come join a church. I'm not saying walk down an aisle. I'm not saying take somebody by the hand. I'm not saying put money in the offering plate. I'm saying, God, I need you in my life. I put my faith in you. That's what it says, John 3, 16. I put my faith in you. And some of you need to do that today. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come. You just need, you need to do that. And that right there is going to be the first step of a journey. And you're still going to have questions. You're still going to have worries and problems. But the biggest fear in your life you know is taken care of. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much, Lord, that you are life. Lord, that you beat death You beat all of this stuff that you came up out of the grave. That no one today can say, this is where Jesus is. These are his bones. We can't say that because you are not here. You have risen. And Lord, I pray so much. Lord, I've been praying so much. And my heart has been burdened. Lord, for this morning, for there's so many people who just don't go to church because they've been to church and they've been hurt and they've been burned because the church makes it complicated. And Lord, I pray that today, Lord, that you would make it so simple that we need to put our faith in Jesus. Lord, I pray for that person right now who just doesn't know. They worry and they struggle and they don't know if they have that eternal life. Your word says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that they can know that you want us to know. I pray, everyone here, that before they leave, that they would realize that your Son loves them so much that He died on the cross. Just how they are. That they don't have to clean up They don't have to get better. That they, you, Jesus Christ, died exactly where they're at. And Lord, that you rose from the dead to show your power that you can change us once we come to you, God. Lord, I praise you and we love you so much for your love. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.